Good morning. Our reading uh, today is taken from the book of Luke, and it's chapter 24, starting at verse 13, and it's called The Road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women, amazed in everything. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told 
what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Thanks, Daphne. Um, we can look at those verses now. If you've got a Bible, you might want to uh, just open that. We should open it if you're at home. Uh, why not grab yours as well, and uh, we can all do this together. Um, it was Easter Sunday just two weeks ago, of course. It, it seems a million years ago now, doesn't it? They were all outside, all together, the whole church family pretty much, even some guests as well, which was lovely, and some new faces. And, uh, and yet, it, it's such a key moment, Easter, isn't it? It's very strange, because we build up to it, we, we get ready for it. Easter Sunday comes, we all say, he has risen, he has risen indeed, woo and then we kind of move past it, and whilst we still believe Jesus has risen from the dead, of course, um, we sort of go back to normal very quickly, it seems. It's very odd, isn't it? A bit like Christmas, uh, but perhaps um, more poignant. And so it's very odd, isn't it? As Christians, we have this amazing claim. We claim that our Savior, our leader, lives. Not that he lived, but that he lives. That If someone was to ask us, where is Jesus Christ now? We wouldn't just say, in the annals of history or in a figment of my imagination... We say, as Christians, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, is in heaven, physically, with his human body intact. His glorified body after the resurrection. We say Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father right now, with his human physical body, the one man, Son of God, Son of Man, the one nature, two natures in the one person. What an amazing thing to believe. What an incredible thing to even say out loud. Most people think we're crazy. And, uh, and to the world, we are. But that's all right. I like being a little crazy in the world's eyes every now and again. But we have this wonderful belief, this wonderful claim. We even claim that this Jesus, who is in heaven physically now, we can speak to him. And yet, when it comes to Easter, we seem to get there, get excited, and then change the subject, it would seem. Last week, Dave spoke from Acts chapter 1. And he spoke about this interaction uh, with Jesus on those 40 days before his ascension, uh, which is obviously a bit later in the the sort of church calendar. But I want to stay with this theme of people experiencing the risen Christ for a couple of weeks. And today we're going to look at those verses and the road to Emmaus. Also, as we look at that, I want to look at the power of disappointment. Uh, And that seems a a good theme for this morning. So I won't read it again because it's kind of long and Daphne did a good job, so I don't need to. Um, But if you've got your Bible open, let me just recap the story. So these two disciples, um, only one of them is named. Um, They're walking away from Jerusalem. It's it's Resurrection Sunday, so this is the day of Jesus' resurrection. Um, As far as they're concerned, he's dead. The whole thing's over. There's a slight question mark as to where the bodies vanish to, but they don't seem to be joined the dots And they've had enough, and they're just walking away. They're walking away from all that's happened. And you've got the clear past, this this one disciple that's named. There are lots of theories as to who this person was. Um, Some people say he was Joseph's brother. Some people say he's one of the apostles, but with a different name. But the fact that he's mentioned here probably is more to remind us of his trustworthiness. I suspect he was someone well-known. Uh, within Christian circles in the first century. And he's mentioned here as a way of showing those that read this story in the years following that this is someone who you can trust. He believes in the risen Jesus. You can trust him as well. And you will be that person for someone, by the way. When you say, I believe in the risen Jesus, you'll be someone that people trust and that they will say, well, he believes it or she believes it. Maybe I should as well. It's a wonderful story of this journey with Jesus across seven miles. He's personal, he's intimate, he restores them from their unbelief. 
He sits with them. He walks with them. He talks with them. He listens to them. He gently explains. And Jesus still does those things 2,000 years later. Our living Savior still walks with us, talks with us, cares for us, and changes us. And maybe or even in the building this morning, you're yet to put your trust in Jesus Christ and ask him into your life simply by confessing your sin and asking him to be your king and savior, believing him to be God's son who rose from the grave. Maybe today is the day you simply say, Jesus Christ, be my Lord, come into my life. Maybe you're watching at home and you watch every week and you're yet to make that commitment to have Jesus as your king and your savior, your Lord and your God. I encourage you to simply pray, Lord, come into my life be my saviour this morning. I believe you're God's son and I'm sorry for my sin. So this morning as we uh, take these passage, this passage, I want to look first at the power of disappointment and then we're going to look at a second point which I've also called the power of disappointment but I'll explain that in a minute. The overriding emotion in this story that Daphne read to us in Luke 24 from verse 13, if you've not yet opened up your Bible, there it is. It's the overriding emotion of these two disciples is disappointment. You can feel, it's tangible, the sadness that they both are experiencing. In my imagination, they're kind of hunched over, not socially distanced, of course, but you can almost feel that intense conversation. Can you believe it? I thought he was the one, but he's dead. What's happening? You can feel that disappointment. Verse 21 captures their mood brilliantly. When speaking, ironically, to the one they think they've lost, they say this, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped he was the one to mean he clearly isn't, and the whole thing is lost. In their words and their actions, you get a sense of the power of disappointment. Let me tell you some jokes about disappointment. I've uh, slacked on my duties of telling you jokes that you roar with laughter at every Sunday, so we're going to get back to normal with that. I thought they said freebies. You can imagine my disappointment that stung almost as much as the bees. That's quite good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Gravity is such a disappointment. Somebody. It always lets you down? Never mind. Okay. I planned to go to a class on how to deal with disappointments, but it was cancelled. Never mind. That's enough of that. It's a box I have to tick every Sunday, really, rather than anything of any great significance. But disappointment can be quite powerful. I wonder, have you ever suffered disappointment in your life? Have you ever been in a situation where you wanted, thought something was going to happen and then the opposite happened or that thing just didn't happen? You built up to it maybe for years and years and years and then suddenly you've been let down and you're disappointed. What effect has that disappointment had on you? Has it changed who you trust? Has it changed what you prioritize? Has it made you jaded and cynical about the world and the relationships you're in? Has it changed your approach to life? Let me give some quotes about disappointment I found this week. Somebody wrote this. Disappointment is inevitable, but to become discouraged, there's a choice I make. God would never discourage me. He would always point me to himself and to trust him. Therefore, my discouragement is from Satan. As you go through the emotions that we have, hostility is not from God. Bitterness, unforgiveness, all these are attacks from Satan. I did feel this week I should mention Satan, the devil. Um, As Christians, we forget him. Don't forget him. Don't forget him in your walk and your battle with this life because he is there trying to bring you down and you must resist him and he will flee, the Bible says. 
Another quote, our Heavenly Father understands our disappointment, suffering, pain, fear, and doubt. He is always there to encourage our hearts and help us understand that he's sufficient for all our needs. When I accepted this as an absolute truth in my life, I found that my worrying stopped. And then Martin Luther King Jr. said this, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. So what are the power of disappointment? What is the power of disappointment in this story? Well, there's three things that happen to these two disciples. The first is disappointment moves us from hope. Verse 13, the very first verse. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're so disappointed that they are walking away from the source of all hope. Note the direction of travel, away from the empty tomb. That's where hope is on Easter Sunday. It's not anywhere else in the world. Hope is at the empty tomb. But such is their disappointment at their understanding of what events and how they've unfolded that they are walking away from where hope is. Disappointment moves us from where hope is to where hope isn't, to hopelessness. Disappointment means that we engage in futile conversations. Verse 14, as we go through the story, says they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And you can imagine that all of those seven miles had Jesus not interrupted would have been them going round and round and round and round in circles, getting absolutely nowhere. How many of us in the last 12 months have had the COVID conversation with every single person we meet, every single day, every single way, talking about it over and over? Will they get a vaccine? Will I go on holiday? When will it end? And we go round and round and round. But we don't. We spiral down and down and down and down. Circular, futile conversations lead somewhere, downwards. And these two, by the time they'd have reached Emmaus, I suspect would have been so depressed because their disappointment would have led them round in circles and to spiral down and down and down. Disappointment-fueled conversations are fundamentally pointless. And then we see that the power of disappointment blinds us from the truth. A couple of verses to read out to you. Verses 15 to 16. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Who kept them from recognizing Jesus? Perhaps it was God in his sovereignty, so this story could unfold. Perhaps. I think more likely their disappointment blocked them from recognizing the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, a man they would have known only too well. So disappointed were they that even when God himself stands next to them, they cannot recognize his hand. They're blinded from seeing Jesus. Have you ever experienced that? You're so disappointed, you're so down, you're so fed up that when someone says, yeah, but see what God did, you say, no, I don't think that was God. I think that was a coincidence. Or it's not what I thought God would do. And you're blinded from seeing God move. But it gets even worse. They say to Jesus, who's the one they're discussing, are you the only one that doesn't know what's happening in Jerusalem? And then Jesus says, what things? And they say in verse 19, about Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. They're blinded from understanding who Jesus is. They say prophet, almost right, half right, because he's prophet, priest, and king. 
but their disappointment has led them to misunderstand who Jesus is. If he's not God's son, therefore he must have just been a prophet. Their disappointment has made their faith weak and jaded. If you let disappointment rule your faith and your experience of God, you too will have a warped view of who God is. And then verses 22 to 24, we see the final way that disappointment blinds us from truth. They say, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they did not find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the woman had said, women had said, but Jesus we did not see. They're blinded from believing what is plainly obvious that Jesus is alive. So many people in our world are crushed by disappointment, aren't they? And we say, but let me tell you about Jesus. And they say, no, I don't think that's what I need. I had a conversation with someone this week who was struggling with all sorts of things to do with our world. And I said, well, as a Christian, they asked, will it ever get any better? And I said to this woman, well, I believe as a Christian, I know I'm going to heaven for eternity. I know I've got an eternity. And this world is like that. It's nothing. It's nothing. And I get to live forever in God's kingdom and be perfect and never die. And her exact words were, well, whatever you need to get through the day. I thought, come on. Come on. Whatever you need to get through the day. But disappointment means that we become blinded from seeing Jesus, understanding Jesus, and believing what is plainly obvious about Jesus. I wonder how you might feel this morning after 12 months of COVID, after all the changes that we've all experienced, some subtle, some direct. Are you feeling disappointed? You're disappointed in God. You're wondering why God hasn't done something sooner or different or better according to what you might understand God should be doing. Is that disappointment seeping into your hope? Is it putting cracks in the foundation that Christ died that you could stand on no matter what? Let's come to my second point, also called the power of disappointment. Because disappointment is only powerful until it isn't. Until you understand and encounter the risen Jesus Christ, disappointment is powerful, and then you meet Jesus, and disappointment is robbed of all of its power. Jesus counters their disappointment in four very clear ways. The first is verse 25. Having said all these things to them, he says to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus offers them a gentle rebuke. How foolish are you? This isn't a nasty, aggressive way of speaking. This is a gentle rebuke. You must understand the language of the first century. This is a gentle challenge. The second thing Jesus does is he takes them on a study through God's word. Verses 26 to 27. Did not the Messiah have to suffer all these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. He takes them back to God's word and explains what the story actually was. Then verse 30, they sit and have communion together. When he was at the table with them, he broke bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Note the similarity of language to the Last Supper. And it's here that they recognize him for the very first time. Their hearts burn as he speaks. And then finally, he gives them time. We don't know when Jesus caught up with them, but I suspect it was at the beginning of their seven miles. He walked for seven whole miles with them until they reached 
and this, the town called Emmaus. And if you're suffering with disappointment this morning, these four things that you can see behind me are four things that you need. You need the rebuke of God. We live in a very odd world where you can no longer tell someone off. We say, don't speak to me like that. I don't want to be challenged. But without challenge, you'll never change. And actually, you should allow God to challenge you and rebuke you. As you read his word, if you think, oh, that's a bit challenging, stay there. Stay there a bit longer. If you're having trouble unforgiving or, or loving your neighbor, stay in that passage until God touches your heart or breaks your heart. Because you'll never change and that disappointment will win in the end. You need God's word. I am constantly astonished at how many Christians do not pick up the world's greatest book on a daily basis. And in fact, I don't understand for a second why God's people have not got their heads buried in here. Because this is your source of nourishment and life. And yet so many Christians report they don't read it. How will you ever know the real story other than just your perception of it. And then fellowship. You need to be in the presence of the king. Church matters. Prayer matters. Connect groups matter. Everything matters that's called worship. And we must be in those places. And we must know that as we walk through those journeys, Jesus will walk with us. And then you note the change in these two men. Disappointment has been drained from them by the time they reach Emmaus. And replaced with hope. They run back to Jerusalem and they speak not of the story that ended badly, but of the risen Jesus. And they now know the truth that Jesus is alive. The passage Dave spoke from last week described Jesus' followers as witnesses. But witnesses of what? Witnesses of the resurrection. They were those who saw physically Jesus. And we are those who know him in that way as well. Our world is clothed in many disappointments and sadnesses. People are crying out for a friend, for hope, for purpose. Many people simply do not know who they are or what on earth they're here for. And we were once like that as well, weren't we? Lost in our sin, futile in our thinking, blinded by the truth, to the truth of God that sets us free. But then came that day when Christ walked with us, the living, alive Jesus, the reigning King of Kings, and he turned us round and brought us back. And so let's just finish our service with a prayer. So I invite you to shut your eyes and pray with me as we come to the end. And just think back over all that we've said. And let me just ask, first of all, are you disappointed this morning? To be honest before God, are you disappointed? Maybe you're disappointed with decisions you've made. Maybe things haven't worked out the way you thought they would. Just say, Lord, I'm disappointed. You're disappointed with, with God. Have you so misunderstood his plan and his character that you feel he should have done things he didn't? Be honest. Habakkuk was honest with God. God challenged him, of course, but he was honest. Say, Lord, I don't understand and I'm disappointed. And then let's just acknowledge together in this time of prayer that disappointment is not of God. Disappointment is a tool and a trick of the devil. He loves to rob us of our hope and our confidence by telling us what didn't quite work out. Whereas actually, if we listen to Jesus, he will take us through the scriptures and show us the grandest plan ever, the plan of salvation 
so beautiful, so wonderful, we could never fathom it in our human minds. And be determined to turn around and encounter the living Christ again. Do you read your Bible daily? Do you pray? Why not? Say to the Lord, I'm sorry that I have not prioritized that quiet time with you. I will from now on. Are you regular with us on a Sunday morning? Are you a part of worship through connect groups or other ways? Change it. Of all the time in your life, your schedule is now up for grabs. Grab it and make it Christ-centered. And Lord, as we come to the end of our time together, Lord, we want to thank you for this time to worship you together. Thank you, Lord, that we can be your family. Lord, I love coming to church. And it's just a joy and a privilege. Lord, now as we spend some time together outside, having refreshments, Lord, may we speak of you, not just of the week to come or the week that was. But Lord, turn our disappointments into joy this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.